you went from playing Ben Johnson, Renaissance, <laughs> early modern playwright, poet, to Mikhail Gorbachev. Which accent was harder to nail? <laughs> You're assuming that accents are easy for me, period. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 581, Reagan and Gorbachev. The Goodman Theater in Chicago just opened its latest production, a world premiere by Rogelio Martinez called Blind Date, about the, I guess you'd call it, courtship and ultimate conference in Geneva between American President Ronald Reagan and Soviet Union General Secretary Mikhail Gorbachev in 1985. Chicago actors Rob Riley and William Dick play Reagan and Gorbachev, and Bill and I were both in Book of Will recently at the Northlight Theater, which closed in December, just two days before this play, Blind Date, went into rehearsal. I was excited to talk to both actors about what went into their performances, and I started by asking Rob how you even begin to play a person like Ronald Reagan, whose mannerisms and behavior are pretty familiar to those of us of a certain age. You have an advantage playing an actual historical person of recent decades because there's lots of YouTubes, <laughs> you know? That's right. And other, other, not just YouTube, but other sources of, of video. So that was very helpful, although some of the more helpful ones were YouTubes of him being interviewed by Johnny Carson or something like that where he's more relaxed and conversational. Because most of the play, I'm I'm not making speeches. The the speech I make at the end from the 1976 Republican Convention is available on YouTube. Um, although Rogelio exercised his artistic prerogative by rewriting it a little bit, um, so that was very helpful. Partially because one of the notes Bob Falls, the director, gave me was to pay attention to the fact that that was in 1976 and the rest of the play takes place in 1985. Um, so he was more youthful and had a different kind of energy in 1976. Yeah, that's a, a great moment. And as you say, so much of the play is is him not in speechifying mode, but in, you know, sort of backstage uh, conversational mode. How, how do you, I guess the trap that would scare me as an actor is, is how, how do you keep the performance, and I guess it's a, a danger of the play as well, how do you keep the performance from being a, a, like a Saturday Night Live sketch? Do you know what I mean? How do you, yeah. how do you make the character fully rounded? Oh, I know exactly rounded? what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly something I was very aware of early on and that Bob Falls and I talked about. And I specifically did not want to fall into the trap of trying to outdo Rich Little or <laughs> whoever's doing impressions these days. <laughs> right. I guess Frank Gorshin is still around. But I approached it. He's a character in a play. Uh, the the actual YouTubes and so on of the way he talks 
and interviews were certainly helpful, but I think avoiding the trap that you mentioned relates to approaching this as an actor would approach any other character in a play. Yeah. Um, Where I know that's my job. Yeah. This is a, I know this is a world premiere and that the, the script has been undergoing changes throughout this prices, process and there were workshops last year. Were there ever more scenes between you and Deanna Dunnigan as Nancy? It, that was sort of one disappointment for me was, was not seeing more of the scenes between the two of them. Well, uh- of course, it was a disappointment to me too, but not not just for the reason of actor's ego. Uh, you know, you, yeah. you want to be on stage as much as you can, <laughs> uh, but also just the joy of working with Deanna. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I I would uh, you, you would have to ask the playwright, but I would hazard a guess that there just wasn't there's just not room in yeah. two and a half hours to get everything in there. In fact, I, I was in a scene that I got yanked out of. Uh, might have even been during previews. I forget. If you remember the scene where she comes to, or Nancy come, invites Schultz to dinner yeah. and brings up her astrologer. Yeah. Uh, originally, originally, I was in that scene. I didn't have much to do, but I think the, uh, you know, I just had a few lines, but I think the point of it it seemed to me, was you know, there's this delicate idea that people have that uh, Ronnie was Nancy's ventriloquist puppet. You know, <laughs> there's lots of footage of her whispering in his ear and so on. I don't. I'm I'm quite confident that was not true. But I do. I, I think they were partners, and he did consult with her and rely on her judgment and advice. Um, and that was sort of, I thought, the purpose of me being in that scene. One of the things that Chris Jones mentioned in his lovely review of the play was that it's one of the few uh, plays that seems to treat Ronald Reagan sympathetically. Um, and I I certainly don't agree with his politics and, and never did, because I'm from California. And, uh, you know, back even back, back when he was governor, he was doing some sort of distasteful things. But but yeah. he had undeniable presence and he had undeniable charm, which I think you capture really well. Was, was Did your personal politics enter into the portrayal of it at all, either as a benefit or as a hindrance? Uh, well, my personal politics are probably pretty much in line with yours. But no, I didn't think it made any much of a difference, and and that's as I say, especially the writing, because mm-hmm. I think Rogelio set out to uh, create believable characters, and uh, that involve also implies being even-handed. But again, going back to what I said a minute ago, uh, I put my personal feelings about uh, what I thought of him when he was president, I put that to one one side because again, it's not a work of political propaganda and it's not my job to turn him into a hero or a villain. It's to take what's on the page and take what 
I perceive from my research about the person and the victim as a person. Hey there, this is Neil LeBute, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? This week, our 2018 tour of William Shakespeare's long-lost first play abridged after getting standing ovations in Bloomington, Hillsdale, and Tallahassee continues in both South Padre Island, Texas, and Livermore, California, followed by performances in upcoming weeks in Bluebell, Pennsylvania, Hayes, Kansas, Indianapolis, Indiana, La Crosse, and Madison, Wisconsin, the New Victory Theater Off-Broadway in New York City, and the Pittsburgh Public Theater this June. We'll also be doing one performance of the Bible, the complete word of God abridged in Orono, Maine in March. And Pop-Up Shakespeare is in its second printing and continues to be on sale worldwide. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. Next, I talked to William Dick, who's playing Gorbachev in Rogelio Martinez's Blind Date at the Goodman, and we began by talking about accents. The Russian was really tough. It's the first, like, non-romance language uh, accent that I've ever had to do. <clears throat> so there was a lot of significant differences in terms of the, um, you know, where it's placed and the rhythm of it and how the how the uh, uh, um, uh, um, how it's stressed it was very different. Well, and I Rob said that he got to watch a lot of YouTube videos to help him prepare for Reagan, but you probably didn't have that opportunity since there are very few videos of Gorbachev speaking English, which is of course you do. Yeah, he doesn't speak English in anything that I found. I I found one fragment of research where it says that he spoke a little bit to Margaret Thatcher on one of his trips to London in English, but uh, never felt confident enough to have a conversation or speak publicly in English. <clears throat> he had a, a, um, a translator with him that worked with him all the time, and I guess is still with him, apparently. Um, I talked to somebody who, who uh, knew him and said he travels with the same guy all the time. Um, so no videos of him speaking but uh, lots of videos of him delivering speeches in Russian. So I get to watch him in action, but not hear him. And, and you know, we sh so we shared a dresser group for, during the entire Book of Will process. And, and I know in that rehearsal process, we had a lot of research materials uh, at, uh, at our, at our, available to us. Um, and, I, and I knew that you had this massive biography of Gorbachev. <laughs> um, a, did you really read that or was that just for show? <laughs> and B, um, is that research helpful or do you, uh, at the end of the day, just rely on, on the, 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 the text in the script? You know, I actually read most of that book. I read, I kind of poked around in the William Taubman biography quite a bit and found um, just some really interesting things about his past and uh, read mostly up to, from his birth up to 1985, because that's the date that the play deals with. It was fascinating to, to do that research and realize that both Reagan and Gorbachev came from very humble backgrounds, from 
you know, relative poverty and uh, um, tiny towns to uh, to become, you know, the most powerful men in the world. Pretty extraordinary. It is. And, and the play, I think, successfully shows that with you in its depiction of Gorbachev and his wife, Raisa, maybe yeah. less so with, with Reagan. I, I, I did love those scenes. Um, how much did the play change in rehearsal? A great deal. We got scenes. We got, I got two new scenes uh, the Saturday during previews, the Saturday before we opened on Monday. Um, we read through the scenes on Saturday afternoon, and they were on stage in front of an audience Saturday night. Oh, that's fun. And that's fun. pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the play is vastly different from when I, we did the first reading in April, uh, sat around a table and read it. It was, um, it's gotten so much more focused, more tightly focused on the uh, dynamic between Reagan and Gorbachev. And I think the, the narrative structure of, of who's talking to the audience when has become more focused as well. Uh, it used to be, you know, met, people would turn out and talk to the audience at random. And now it's focused down pretty much to just Sherrod Nadza, Schultz, and Edmund Morris talking to the audience. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, Mikhail Gorbachev's character was very underdeveloped early on because it focused more on Reagan uh, I think Rahavio had in mind to write a play about Reagan first off. Mm. And then that began to change when he decided that he was going to write about the Geneva summit. <clears throat> so gradually he adds these characters in. And um, the thrill of it was I got to develop Gorbachev through many iterations and many different scenes to where we are now. Um, from kind of a sketchy character to a guy who's got a full complete arc and going back to the research what was interesting to find out about him was that he was a reformer at heart, which is something I didn't know uh, about him before approaching the play, that he really thought he could uh, unite the West and Russia in some kind of common understanding about arms reduction and helping developing countries and uh, very radical for uh, for his position in the Politburo. Um, he was really walking on thin ice with his own people and reaching out to do the kinds of things that he did. And so Rahelio focused those ideas very much in the later in the later scenes. And uh, <clears throat> by Saturday, when we, were, we had a new scene with Reagan, we really got to the meat of the matter where we were talking about Gorbachev trying to save the Soviet economy from sinking into the muck by uh, getting out of Afghanistan and shedding that responsibility and that expense by not having to go into this nuclear uh, arms race that was completely bankrupting them. Um, and he came to the meeting with very generous offers. He wanted to have the complete elimination of nuclear weapons from the face of the planet by the year 2000. And uh, what he offered Reagan in 85 was a reduction of 50% of uh, nuclear arms <clears throat> by 1990. If Reagan would stop the development of SDI, the strategic defense initiative, right? The star Wars shield, um, the star Wars shield. Yeah. Right. So he, um, 
he was very forward thinking and very progressive, kind of dangerously so uh, in the eyes of the Soviets. I spoke to um, a Russian reporter, both Mary Beth Fisher and I did, um, Sergei Elkin, who writes for a Russian paper here in the city called Reklama. And he left the Soviet Union in 2001, and he said their hopes at that time for Gorbachev were so high, people were so hopeful that things were really going to move towards democracy and a better economy, <clears throat> that when his reforms collapsed and he was uh, basically ousted in a coup, um, he said the world fell apart for them, and that's when many, many Russians uh, left and found their way to the States and other places. Hmm. So, yeah, so, yeah, that's interesting. My question was going to be, uh, how is Gorbachev thought of now? And I, and I guess I imagine that the answer is different, depends on where the Russians are living. It does. <clears throat> this, uh, Stanley Elkin was saying that he, uh, he's revered as a reformer by the expats and the people that wanted to see uh, the system change. But he is hated by people in, the, uh, in Russia today uh, because he, they blame him for the dissolution of the, of the Soviet Union and uh, <clears throat> the ruining of their economy. There, he said there's this weird nostalgia for uh, the old Soviet Union where they had nothing but felt like they were happier. <laughs> he said it's, 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 it's really perverse. Um, and now living under Putin is, is much like being, he said it's more like being under Stalin than any of the other leaders like Chernyenko or Andropov or Brezhnev. Mm. It's uh, kind of come full circle. But here in the West, he's revered <clears throat> as, uh, well, he won the Nobel Prize in uh, 90 for his efforts to reduce nuclear arms and perestroika and detente. Um, so here he's seen as a great diplomat and uh, a real progressive political thinker, um, but not not so much in Russia. It's it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I think uh, I think Reagan is revered as the man who ended the Cold War and defeated communism, and I think <laughs> that's I think that's overstated. Um, but the play goes a, a certain distance towards kind of convincing me that maybe Reagan was more thoughtful and had more foresight than I've given him credit for. He, yeah, I mean, um, it was a blind date. They both reached out in the dark to, uh, to have this meeting and start this dialogue. <clears throat> the United States had cut off uh, diplomatic, had cut off communications with the Soviet Union when they invaded Afghanistan. And they went for six, almost seven years without uh, speaking at a summit, speaking face to face. And um, they both had to be persuaded, both Reagan and Gorbachev had to be persuaded that it was time to talk, that things were getting dangerous. Um, so it, it took courage on both parts. And I really do think Reagan thought that uh, the Star Wars program was going to mean the end of the nuclear arms race that make uh, to make nuclear arms completely um, irrelevant. Mm. But <laughs> what he didn't say, what we found out in our research, <clears throat> was that yes, he planned to share that technology with that, with the world, but he was going to sell it to the Soviet Union, uh. and the Soviet Union had no capital to buy 
<laughs> to buy that technology. So um, it would have meant that uh, the United States had protection and didn't have to fear retaliation if they lost a, if they launched a strike. And the balance of power would have just been um, completely shifted in an unacceptable way for the Soviet Union. The, uh... And that's, a, that's part of the new scene that uh, Rogelio put in on Saturday is that discussion of what giving up mutual assured destruction would have meant for the Soviet Union. Um, and I don't think Reagan really considered that. And he was thinking that he was going to push the Soviet Union over the economic cliff by forcing them into a costly arms race. So uh, he, he wasn't working out of a strict benevolence <laughs> either. <laughs> it was, he was being pushed by uh, the military-industrial complex and his own lifelong hatred of communism. Yeah. You know, for getting for me getting to play Richard Burbage was such a gift. I feel like I'm so grateful for that experience. Is this well, and and playing Ben Johnson too, back to back these two roles. This seems like just these are just wonderful parts for for you to dive into. Yeah, us character guys don't uh, don't get uh, that many juicy roles like that. That's right. Don't count <laughs> us out. <laughs> No, Burbage was fantastic. It was so much fun. And, uh, yeah, I loved, uh, I loved playing Ben Johnson. Um, really, really nice, juicy characters with a lot going on. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Mikhail, Mikhail Gorbachev is so, so different. Uh, he's, he's uh, first of all, he's not a drunkard <laughs> that I know of. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he doesn't have hair. Apparently Ben Johnson had a lot of hair, at least I did. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's and Gorbachev is an intellectual, um, and very very proud of his and Raiz's intellectual roots at the uh, university in Moscow, and um, you know savvy politicians. I mean, these two characters couldn't be any more different oh. uh, from each other. Yeah, uh, which makes it so wonderful to yeah. uh, to go from Johnson to uh, to Gorbachev. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Blind Date runs at the Goodman Theater in Chicago until February 25th, 2018. Go to goodmantheater.org for more information. Then send us your awkward geopolitical hookups via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also engage with us and other fans on Facebook or Twitter. You can find easy links to all these social networks at our website, reducedshakespeare.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks, as always, to fellow 80s relic Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Billy Walker. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Neil LeBute, four of whose plays are amongst Broadway Play Publishing's top 25 best-selling plays, in addition to the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged, the complete history of America abridged, the ultimate Christmas show abridged, and my adaptation of Frankenstein. Thanks also to Ramsey Carey at the Goodman Theater for helping me arrange these conversations. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 581, 1743rds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. And now I'll leave you with one final exchange between me and Rob Riley, which only those of you who are either old enough or presidential trivia nerds will understand. I guess the good news is, is that um, if they reboot Death Valley Days, you are now ready to be the host. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, I can look forward to that. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.